Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here, managing editor of Fightful.com, FightfulMMA.com. A very dressed-down Sean Ross Sapp. I'm rocking the no-collar look as I overcome a sinus infection. But I am joined by two well-dressed individuals in James Lynch and Showdown Joe. James, how are you? I'm doing well. Sorry I missed last week. Had some stuff going on, but glad to be back and uh, talk some fights. We are also joined by one Showdown Joe. And Joe, I respect the Nike polo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> what's going on guys hope everyone's doing okay hello everybody on the live chat top right of your screen uh we missed james last week but he's back we're represented in our canadian uh, attire i don't know what's going on with you americans down there sean but <sighs> i'm lucky to have made it to the show but anyway this is going to be one of our biggest shows i couldn't miss this one couldn't miss it at all we've got a lot to talk about the connor mcgregor habib presser ufc sao paulo uh talus latest and evan dunham retire John Jones' suspension. We got a big Bellator 206 show coming up. Joanna versus Valentina confirmed. I think the first thing we got to get right into is the Conor McGregor-Habib presser. I mean, to, to me, and it's wild to say this, but that's on par with the John Jones news. We get this presser. It got wild. James Lynch, as you noted, uh, it's very clear that Conor McGregor has been reading Kareem Zidane's writing and Mike Russell's writing. He did his research ahead of this presser, did he not? He did, yeah, and he went right for the jugular. The second, uh, you know, they they got face to face, and there was some talk. Uh, he he definitely brought all this up, and that's Connor for you. The mind games are coming out. No, nothing is off the table at this point, and uh, he'll he'll try and do whatever he can. And uh, you know, it's unfortunate they didn't have the crowd there to sort of react to everything. But for uh, you know a media based uh, press conference that had no fans whatsoever, I thought this was very entertaining. And Connor really carried this thing. I mean, can you can you imagine if it was just Habib an opponent? This wouldn't have been nearly as noteworthy. But uh, Connor always makes it a show and. He certainly delivered that, and I think uh, to a lot of, like you were saying, a lot of people, uh, kind of shocking that he was able to uncover, uh, you know, read Kareem Zidane's work, uh, which is something you, you wouldn't expect, but he's got to cover every angle, Sean, and he certainly did that. Not only that, it seemed like throughout the press conference, Joe, that Connor remembered stuff that he had read, <laughs> where he's like, when, when Habib brought up that Connor does it for the money, and he's like, I don't do it. Wait a second. You took money from Magomedov. 
Like he hit the light bulb went off and he's like, Oh shit. Got you in a corner. Yeah. I mean, typical Connor, right? Connor did a fantastic job. Uh, I will, I'll say this though, James, I don't think Connor totally carried that press conference. We were just waiting for Habib to have enough to have enough of what Connor was saying and then and actually chime in. And then when those two guys, when he actually turned, his body language turned, and they started going at each other, I thought that was absolutely fantastic. It would have been nice to have crowd there, a lot of people over there, but I understand, well, you know, Dana White said it himself. You know, we've already had problems here in New York. We don't want any more problems. In essence, you know, you're going to have two different fan bases here that will be more than happy to clash with each other. So um, yeah, a couple things that Connor did and said where we're kind of like, nah, you, you, you shouldn't have did that, but – uh, it's Connor. So the whole pur- the whole purpose of Connor doing what he does is to sell fights. And um, you know, I have it on good word that Habib uh, on his own sells a lot of pay per views, and we already know what Connor does. So this thing is going to be absolutely massive when it finally goes down. So let's talk about some of those comments that I thought kind of crossed the line. Like even in pro wrestling, I think when you say "I would kill you," implying that you would have murdered somebody, I think that's just that doesn't sell me a pay per view necessarily. I mean. Maybe maybe to other people it does. I'm sure to at least one person it does. But James, I thought that was a little much because it just didn't it didn't fit. It didn't fit. Now, now Connor was it's crazy to say in rare form for him, but I've not seen him that amped up even consistently for that that period of time. But what did you think of those comments? Yeah, they, they were out of line, but I think we have to remember this is very tribal at, at the essence of this thing. You've got Connor and the Irish fans, you know, going against Habib, who's, you know, sort of this clean cut Muslim guy. And, uh, you know, he really sort of, Habib really wants to establish that he's a role model. And Connor doesn't care about any of that. He's Connor McGregor. He'll do whatever he wants. He can throw a dolly at a bus and still headline a card, you know, months later. So to, to me, it just sort of uh, really sort of highlighted that the tribalism that, that heads into this fight, which is just two completely different personalities going toe to toe in one of the biggest fights in UFC history. Was it out of line? Yeah, but was it surprising? Surprising, not at all. So there were no fans there, as you mentioned, Joe. They didn't want, and God, I couldn't have imagined a toned-up Conor McGregor at that point. This was a 40-minute whiskey commercial, essentially, and a damn good one. I don't drink, but it was a damn good whiskey commercial. I'll give him that. Was there anything other than, than the aforementioned comments that you thought that Conor McGregor did that maybe crossed the line a little too much? Because Habib was very calm and collected. Yeah, well, the whole it's the whole whiskey thing, right? When he offered uh, Habib a drink. Uh, anyone that knows me on a personal level, I am not Captain Religion. I'm not the most religious guy, but I, I will respect uh, anyone's religion and culture and stuff like that. And to offer a Muslim a drink, uh, I think was was uncalled for. Uh, I don't think Connor did it maliciously. I think he was, again, trying to promote his whiskey, uh, which is cool, right? But I just thought that was like, oh, as soon as he did that, I'm like, that's not a good look. That's not good. Don't do it. But I don't think anyone's really going to be paying too close attention to that. But um, you know, having known Habib or having met Habib a few times, especially our time uh, in Bahrain, I, I can attest that this guy is a fantastic, um, he's a joker. He's a, pr- he's a prankster, uh, except when it's time to train. I remember in that room there with, uh, with Islam, uh, Jose Shorty Torres was there. Uh, Frankie Edgar was there. Henzo Gracie was there. And that room lit up every time, you know, Habib got his training on. So this is a guy that uh, before and after is a, is a fantastic joker when it comes time to train. Uh, very serious individual, and it, it reminds me way back when an interview that uh, the janitor did, Vladimir Metsuchenko, uh, talking about the trash talk in mixed martial arts and how it doesn't affect his people uh, and the people on that side of the globe because where they come from, there, there is no trash talking. The only trash talking is done with their fists, 
So, uh, or they have to be able to back it up. You know, I think it was Vladimir basically had stated something to the effect that the reason why people don't talk is most people can't back it up. And if you can back it up, you better be ready to back it up. So that's, I guess, the mindset that Habib has going into a situation when he's taking on, uh, you know, Dana White claims is the greatest trash talker of all time, even better than Muhammad Ali. You got to get that. It's, it's, a, it's a mental game when you're taking on Conor McGregor. And Conor's going to do anything and everything to get into Habib's head to the point where they do compete, as we've seen in the past, Sean, you and I have talked about it so many times, half the opponents are so emotional fighting Conor McGregor that they end up making mistakes. Yeah. Well, Conor McGregor did not make a mistake in somehow swinging a, well, not somehow, it's very obvious how he did it. His proper 12 Irish whiskey is going to be on the canvas of all of his fights. This is a brilliant move, James. It is something we've never seen. And, you know, in, 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 in light of everything that we've sort of talked about here with, you know, the trash talk and everything, Connor's a good businessman. I mean, how many fighters are going to have something that they own as a sponsor in the octagon and everything else? Um, this, this is just great on Connor McGregor. And maybe this will pave the way for other fighters. Probably not, because there's not a lot of fighters like Connor McGregor and having that much power. But certainly, uh, you know, I, I saw a lot of people wanting to buy the whiskey and, and getting it. And I mean, he's a good businessman. And I think the brand that he has is so strong that he could sell literally anything and i think you'd see fans buy it yeah and he i don't see a lot of stuff about mcgregor fast or uh his suits necessarily at least outside of his social media but the whiskey i think has actually made a splash no pun intended (laughs) but it is a very savvy move to make this happen uh for conor mcgregor I, i thought it was very smart of him to do i mean why not he he promoted it heavily I had some people who were a little bit offended about him offering Habib a drink, Joe, and then calling Habib, quote, a proper backwards cunt, end quote, <laughs> when he said that he did not drink. Your thoughts? Uh, again, I, 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 it's, it's difficult for me to digest and, and put forth an opinion about a guy that I've seen personally not drink a thing. Uh, I get what Connor's doing. Connor's going to say and do whatever it takes to get into his opponent's head and sell pay-per-views that whole press conference is a gold mine uh and i'm speaking on behalf of, of potentially you know mainstream media outlets that press conference is a gold mine because sometimes for the six o'clock 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock news you need the best clips and that that thing was full of conor mcgregor clips that they could piece together and put together a story to promote um the event so Connor's going to say what he's going to say and, and kudos to him uh, I thought it was crazy afterwards. I think Dana was pretty upset with um, Ali afterwards because they weren't able to get that proper picture and that face-off. Uh, or they got the face-off, but not the one where they can actually look at the crowd because Ali was saying certain stuff, Habib's manager, and then Connor went off on Ali and started spilling uh, some information that not many people know. So uh, interesting to, to note that you know it doesn't matter who it is. Connor's going to take shots at them when he's in that zone, uh, when he's in that switch. He's going to say and do whatever he wants. It's when he turns it off. We'll see. But when does Connor really turn it off when you think about it? From the Habib Nurmagomedov perspective, I thought he got dominated. And he's a guy who has held his own very fairly, at least in a scrum setting, a solo press conference setting. But English isn't his first language. He didn't respond to a lot of stuff. He sure as hell didn't respond to the more controversial aspects of this press conference, James. But he brought up the Artem Lobov thing about how he got slapped and didn't slap back. And I'm thinking, he was, wasn't he surrounded by like several people? Like, wasn't he? 12 guys, yeah. 12 guys. And he, it's not often you can look at Conor McGregor in, in this situation, especially the bus attack situation, and say, 
well, no, I get Connor's side, but he was like, you came out with 40 guys, and I'm like, he flew from Dublin. He flew overseas to do this. And he was going to a media day where he knew that everybody's team was. Like, I don't think there's any debating. Conor McGregor wanted it, Habib, or whatever whatever the situation may be there. But it seemed a little weird to me for Habib to say, why didn't your, your buddy slap back, and why do you have 40 people? I mean, did, did that not seem incredibly hypocritical to you? Yeah, it was. And and that's something that seems to get glossed over with the fact of what happened with, you know, McGregor throwing the dolly. But to, to begin with, none of this would have happened if Habib and his, his, his crew uh, didn't didn't corner Artem Lobov in the hotel. Like, what are you doing? I mean, you've got, uh, you know, Artem Lobov's got a fight. I mean, Habib was was defending the title of that, or he's going to be fighting for the title at that point. Why are you doing all this extra unnecessary stuff during fight week? You should be, you know, Joe, and I agree with you here, you know, Habib, very focused fighter, obviously, you know, in the zone. But during fight week, why are you going after Artem Lobov? Like, to me, that... That shows a little bit of, uh, you know, not not very good character on his part, where he's going in and, you know, basically mobbing some guy. And then, of course, what happened next with, with the dolly and everything. But, uh, yeah, I just think it is very hypocritical. And I think the whole thing was a mess. But, I mean, had Habib not done that, I'm convinced we wouldn't have seen a McGregor, you know, bus attack uh, had that not happened. Bingo. You just, you just completely <laughs> nailed your point perfectly at the very end. Habib was planting a seed. He wants that Conor McGregor fight. Well, what better way to get Conor McGregor than to go after one of his close friends competing on the card, get on his nerves and say, hey, take one of those things. And now Conor's like, yeah, you want to do that to my friend? I'm coming out there. And we all saw what happened after James Dolly and stuff like that. Boom, fights get made. So uh, I think uh, Habib made the right call, despite being uh, a tad hypocritical in the press conference here. But I think he made the right call because, in essence, he got what he wanted. He's going to get a massive payday out of it. He Ultimately, does. Yeah, I was, sorry, sorry, just quickly, but but th- doesn't this sort of go against his whole persona of being this role model? I mean, that's not a very good look if you're someone who's going to go. I, I get what you're saying, Joe, in terms of the fight itself, you know, building it up and, and everything like that. But but it sort of goes against his persona that he's trying to be, which is this, you know, role model. I don't drink. I don't swear. I don't do all these things. And, and you're doing this. I mean, it's just out of character. And it doesn't to me, it didn't look good because it just I, I get that you get this end result, but it still didn't look good for him from a character perspective. That's all. Yeah. Conor McGregor brought his own titles. He brought his own whiskey. He thought that they weren't going to let him in with a glass bottle, so he smuggled in one inside his coat as well. I thought that was very funny. But Habib didn't really say a lot. He didn't really say a lot. It was mostly Conor talking, and then when Habib talked, he would get mimicked. There would be the the Muppet sounds and all that. But what what Habib did say was that Connor tapped several times. However, when I look at this from a stylistic standpoint, and I think, man, April Trujillo had about 20 opportunities to get back up to his feet. What does that say to you, Joe? Because generally, a Connor McGregor, if you give him 20 chances on the feet, something bad's going to happen. Yes, absolutely. That's that's one thing that uh, you know Habib better pay close attention to. If you take Connor McGregor down, you better hold him there for a very long time. If not, if you get him down, if you're able to get that takedown for the duration of the round, if you have to go that far, you better keep him there and punish him and punish him and punish him. Because if you don't, we all know uh, that on a surface level, this fight breaks down very, very simply. Connor with that left bomb, Habib with the takedown, maul and brawl. That's that's just simply the way this fight uh, potentially is going to turn out. I mean, it's MMA. Anything can happen. Can Conor McGregor knock out? Um, uh, or sorry, can Habib uh, Nurmagomedov knock out Conor McGregor with a punch? Of course he can. It's a fight. Anything can happen. And vice versa. Can Conor surprise Habib when these days take him down, TKO him, and submit him? Of course he can. He's got the steals as well. But uh, from from Habib's perspective, yeah, you take Conor down, you better keep him down because that that left hand is something special. We all know that. 
James, towards the end of the press conference, Ali Abdelaziz, who is one of the one of the more controversial agents in MMA, him and Malki Kawa are just this week they're they're in the shit, so to speak. Now, Malki Kawa has a very colorful past in which has been covered extensively by Mike Russell, but it is a different story. All due respect to Mike Russell, I love his work. It is a different story when Mike Russell writes about it and when Conor McGregor, the megaphone, talks about it. That that I don't think that's something that Ali would want. No, no. And, uh, you know, there's there's anyone that's had any association with Mike Russell has been warned from Ali. I, I can tell you a rep- fellow reporter who, uh, you know, basically just cited Mike Russell for something that had nothing to do with Ali. And he got a phone call. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things where um, there's there's a lot of damaging stuff there. And it elevated with the fact that Connor, you know, said that because everyone's asking who this Noah guy is. And there's all this information out there. And it's right in Mike Russell's lap. Mike Russell's followers doubled uh, this last week uh, in yeah. terms of, um, you know, his coverage and the timing of it's good as well because I believe the podcast, which is going to explain all of this uh, in an audio form, is actually going to be dropping in October. So it's pretty crazy what's happening right now. The timing of all this, no one expected this. I mean, I don't even think Mike or Kareem expected this to happen. But uh, it's one of those things where uh, you know Ali poked the wrong bear and the information got out, and now everyone knows about it. So it's crazy. Well, I think it's I think it's great because we need more of that. We we need more of that. Mm-hmm. Bottom line across pro wrestling, MMA boxing any of any of those things we need the mike russells of the world we need the the kareems of the world who do that that extensive work and i saw somebody saying today i think it was to mike on twitter oh you're doing this for clicks that doesn't get clicks Mm -hmm. that i can tell you from experience the six thousand word articles don't typically get the clicks it's usually something along the lines of uh the rock post selfie in gym and shouts out stone cold, Steve Austin, something like that. I mean, if you want to accuse somebody of trying to get clicks, maybe that, as opposed to something, a really deep dive like this. Conor McGregor also brought up the, the money filter or funneled in by Maga Madoff and how he said, there's not a bean left. That Irish slang really works. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, what can you say here? It's uh, it's he's he's just hitting at all angles. And I think that uh, Connor for for, you know, in general, is just a a guy that, uh, you know, he's he's not coming to this unprepared. And one of the thing I wanted to comment too about earlier, I mean, it's not like Habib could have ever won this press conference in terms of the trash talk. I mean, he just has to do what he's doing. Just stay and be be the above the fray type guy where it's like, I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to react. I'm not going to take your drink. I'm not going to do that. Be that guy, because that, like I said, it's tribalism at the end of the day here. You've got the, you know, boisterous Irish crowd against the humble role model you know sort of speak muslim crowd and and that's what this is and that's why this fight's going to be huge because there's two sides of the coin here it's it's almost like you can pick your good and evil here between either side but that's the way fans are invested that's at the end of the day that's what you want if you want people to buy your pay-per-views you need to be invested and there's so many different storylines here that people will be invested in heading into this fight aside from the fact that the matchup's just amazing in itself we also had some huge news this week john jones his suspension is up At the end of October, he will be eligible to return. Here's a crazy thing to think, guys. If he gets a fight in this year, but who knows if he does, he will not have missed a calendar year. He'll actually have fought 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, which is unbelievable to think of. John Jones is a guy who wrapped a car around a pole, drunk, hit and run, messed up, failed an out-of-competition drug test that probably shouldn't have been made public, Failed two subsequent tests. It's it just that 
it's repeated mistake after repeated mistake, and he has wasted years of his perceived prime. As I look at things, John Jones is 31 years old and is likely going to fight at heavyweight in the future. He is way younger than the majority of heavyweights, which is horrifying to think of. Joe, it was uh, revealed that he basically turns over state's evidence. He's effectively a snitch, regardless of what Malkikawa says. However, it was also found by uh, an arbitrator that he didn't knowingly ingest a substance. He didn't intend to cheat. And that was the case, uh, his last drug test, too. My question to you is, Joe, what state's evidence is he supposed to turn over if he's not knowingly ingesting shit? Bingo, right? Bingo. It's so, you look at this, and the moving parts, uh, now that we know what's happening or that or we can assume, uh, in essence, what this state evidence is, to me, you're ratting people out. And, you know, it's, it's, I could be completely wrong. And, and I said it from day one when this whole thing uh, went down. I'm the wrong guy to, to ever accuse anyone because I don't have that steroid eye. I don't have that juice eye uh, like we have when we had Luke on the show before, Sean. I, I, I just I'm, – I'm as guilty of a Canadian as giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Uh, as anyone out there, but at the same time, John Jones, the second time that this happened, uh, I, I kind of sided with him. I'm like, and we had the long, long debates uh, or more or less conversa- conversations, Sean, about, you know, sometimes you can buy something over the counter and you just really don't know. But uh, I think at this point here, they're, they're going to start looking. And, and I think it was Melky that mentioned that, you know, moving forward, anything John's going to take, he's going to first send it uh, to the UFC, have them verify it, then also to USADA, have them verify it before he even ingests it. Uh, then again, how, how fast is that going to happen? But um, th- this type of, of – it's just the story itself, the twists and turns, the ups and downs, the lateral is just – it's 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 crazy. So I don't even know really what to think of it right now. I mean, I, James, you tell me. I mean, you, when you first heard this news, it, it, it must have just shook your head. Yeah, it did. And I, and I think the thing, too, with USADA, unfortunately, is there's been a lot of inconsistencies, right, with in terms of, you know, things that happen with certain fighters and whether they, you know, knowingly took it or didn't. Or, you know, there's been some mistakes on USADA's part where they've come out and said, hey, we screwed this up. And then there's other times where it's blatant where someone, you know, there's you have like an Adam Hunter who's supposed to make his UFC debut and he's got, you know, six or seven different substances that he's tested positive for. Um, I just brought him up because he actually just fought last week. But uh, it's one of those things where, um, I mean, it's I don't think this was that surprising in the sense that it's John Jones. I, you, you would figure there was some way, some maneuver, something that would get him back in the octagon in a timely manner because he's John Jones. I mean, yeah. if this is if this is Tim Means, who, you know, unfortunately had a bad situation with USADA, if this happened to him, he's not in the UFC anymore. James, you talked to Gegard Musashi, who right before saying, I'm glad John Jones is back, said, I'm not fighting Lyoto Machida without a drug test. I know. <laughs> Machida failed for like DHEA. Yeah. yeah. It's not like Tarina Ball and, and all this stuff, man. So I want to see John Jones back. As a guy who runs a pro wrestling MMA boxing website, cool. We, we're talking about this right now. we got good numbers going right now because of this. That, that's neat. But from a moral standpoint, I talked to Filthy Tom Lawler yesterday. He was not happy. And he, he just spent two years of his life. And then the UFC cut him afterwards. Keep in mind, his last fight, they, they, they told him, well, we cut you in part to your last loss. That was a very close fight on a very high-profile card against a top-10 UFC light heavyweight. There are a lot of people who have reason to be upset. 
And people say, I've, I've heard people say, well, why hasn't this been offered to anybody else? It has been. It's just that Mirko Krokop said, I ain't no snitch. Does that surprise you, Joe, after years of interacting with Mirko Krokop? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mirko's Mirko. I can't wait to see him this weekend, what kind of mood he's going to be in. Uh, he's facing a young buck in Rogue Martinez. But yeah, Mirko's Mirko. You know, what is it? Right leg, cemetery, left leg, hospital. And then uh, I guess right if, leg, hospital, if, left leg, cemetery, yeah. And then if you talk out of your mouth, you end up in a ditch, I guess. That's, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's Mirko's way of thinking. It was also revealed throughout this process that John Jones used cocaine before and after the drug test, James. Does this surprise you? Well, I, I think there was a certain point with with uh, with Jones where you know he could, you know, he basically was invincible. I mean, we heard the stories, you know, where it comes out after the fact, where you know he's partying a week before the Gustafson fight. You know, like it's just, it's crazy to me. I, th- I think when you do get to a certain point as a celebrity or an athlete or whatever, you do sort of have that god status, and I, I think. You know, one of the things they don't teach you as a professional athlete is to how to manage money, how to stay out of trouble, how to do all these things. They don't teach you any of that. They just give you a boatload of money. It's like, here, hopefully it all works out. So, um, you know, John is still not a man at this point in terms of, you know, some of the responsibilities he needs to make. So hearing that, no, it does not surprise me. No, he's a father of three and four girls. Like he's got, he's got to be a lot more responsible than that. At the same time, uh, James makes a good point because, no matter how much money they make, you, I mean, no one, I don't know of any um, true educational system that teaches people what to do with their money. Um, you know, role, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you're taught. It doesn't matter if you respect the fact that, you know what, you should be a role model. You have to understand what position you're in. Uh, people are viewing the content that you're putting out there and everything that you do is going to be highlighted because the media just wants the stories, whether it's good or bad. At the end of the day, it's up to the individual to care or to not care. And if they care, they're going to be as you know prim and proper, and at least in the public eye as possible. Um, you know, with John doing the cocaine stuff and and partying and doing this and doing that, you know, it depends on who you're around. If you're around the people that will keep their mouth shut, you're going to be fine. If you're going to be around people and anyone, and you don't care because it's not a UFC event or a media event. Man, there's people that have phones, man. They will record things and, and, and they will rat you out to make a, to make a dollar. So you always got to be careful in anything and everything you do the minute your, your life turns into uh, you know public spotlight. There's something that I really have to approach here. I, you know, we, I don't say, I say we, James interviews Colby Covington about once every six weeks, two months, because there's always something to talk to him about. And so often he says things and I'm like, man, this guy's so full of shit. And then like two weeks later, what he talks about happens or something similar or something that you think that he's saying to drive heat or just create a point, like something that that really mirrors that situation in which he's speaking starts to come true. And we saw this out of Chael Sonnen for years. This was something that we saw out of him. And now I think Chael Sonnen is one of the great analysts at least from a psychological standpoint in mma on on his podcast james this is uh this is becoming a repeating thing with colby where he says these wild things that at least i thought i'm like man this guy but then then it happens 
Have you been noticing this trend? I have. Well, I think these fighters, they know stuff that we don't. I mean, behind the scenes that just doesn't get reported. And there's stuff you hear and it's like, is it newsworthy? Are we going to report it? And you don't want to get in trouble if you are wrong. So, I mean, these fighters, they, they can say whatever they want because there's nothing's going to come back on them unless it's in their own gym. But they can, there's stuff in the know. I mean, I'm sure we all in, at this table here share stories all the time of things that we just can't talk about because it's sort of not appropriate. But Colby but- does! <laughs> I know, I know, that, but he, he's got nothing to lose at this point. People legitimately hate Colby. They want to kill him. I mean, you should see all the, the comments we see all the time on the on the videos, the, even the pros picks where he doesn't give an answer. People are so infuriated by the fact oh, that he yeah. just won't give anyone any respect. Like, he is, he is a polarizing figure and, uh, and, and apparently good at uh, predicting things as well, so maybe you should buy a lottery ticket. So I talked to people, and I may have mentioned this last week on the podcast. I talked to people that he talked to backstage at Raw, and I was like, I brought up what he had said. And they, they, the people that I talked to said, just let Colby say whatever he want because it's good for him and it's good for us. <laughs> so they understand too. And Colby understands the entertainment aspect. Back to Jones. Joe, who does he fight? Because he's not fighting at UFC 230, allegedly. But here we are five weeks away. No main event for UFC 230. So this is a bit of a double here. Who does he fight and who fights at UFC 230? It's tough to say because, you know, obviously he wants, you know, Daniel Cormier um, or Gustafson. And we both know that's going to be the, the DC fight ain't going to happen. And, you know, the Gustafson, uh, I'm not even going to bother finishing off that sentence before, you know, Sean Ross Sapp absolutely rips me uh, a new one. So um, it, it's tough to say who he's going to fight next. I'd, I'd like to see, I mean, pretty sure Jan Blachowicz would step up in a heartbeat, but is that really going to sell a lot of pay-per-views? It might be the only option he has. Um, he's already fought OSP. Um it, it's tough. Vulcan's booked. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I don't know, to be honest with you. I can't even if, – if some way, somehow, Gustafson can get up there. Yeah, if not, it's going to have to be someone that jumps up from middleweight that's got a name, but I don't think that's going to happen. James, uh, Joe Gustafson and – or John Gustafson and UFC all went pretty hard on the remember five years ago when we fought hosts yep. over the last week. Do you think that's a coincidence or do you think they – lock horns again next i I think it's possible i think at this point the the options are very limited in terms of who jones fights um you know we're hearing dana i know whatever dana says doesn't necessarily happen but i mean we're hearing early next year is when he's going to fight and if that is the case then you know your options open a little bit we can take dc off the table because i don't think he's going to fight anyone other than brock lesnar i mean you have this fight on the table why jeopardize that even if it is john jones I think Gustafson's probably the logical choice, or they go with something completely out of the blue. What about Steve Miocic? I mean, you know, I know he wants his heavyweight title back, but I mean, that's that's an intriguing fight at heavyweight. If Jones wins that fight, he fights DC at heavyweight. I don't know. So a couple of things in the Brock Lesnar deal. He got tested by USADA again last week. WWE was very surprised that he was willing to work for them beyond SummerSlam and has. He's literally wrestling in uh, at Crown Jewel in early November, I believe it is. Or maybe it's Super Showdown. I, I can't. It's one of the two. But he's got a WWE title match coming up next too. So there are some people who speculate, and I've not heard one way or the other. But maybe Lesnar's like, I'd rather fight Jones than Cormier, even if there's no title on the line. Joe, I would really have to feel for Cormier if that happened. Oh my goodness! Can you imagine if that actually happens? Like that would be. I wouldn't say catastrophic, but it'd be so bad for DC who would absolutely deserve and want and and should get that fight with Brock Lesnar. But if Brock wants a piece of John Jones and John Jones already called him out, I mean, that, that right there is just, I mean, 
realistically speaking, uh, and I don't know if, if James and I can really answer this because we're we're we live in a in a in a country where we don't really see as much um, UFC content as you would see on Fox right now with DC being on there. But you tell me, Sean, which one would do more pay per view buys, John versus Brock or DC versus Brock? I would go with the former rather than the latter. Yeah, I would too. And th- there is the intrigue of the-, the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply title too. Yeah. Brock becoming the champion and who knows what his WWE status will be by then but I would agree but for UFC 230 what do they have guys I mean pers- personally I would if if I got in a real pickle which the UFC has been known to put themselves in I'd be like you know what guys maybe don't cut that extra 10 pounds we've got a replica belt laying around somewhere let's do a 165 pound division that all of our fighters are begging to do, mind you. James, what do you think? I mean, if, the, if, if there's a time to do the 165-pound division, it's now. This is the perfect opportunity. There is nothing else at this point. Tyron Woodley's not fighting. John Jones is not fighting. What are you going to do? I mean, the options are limited. They just announced the women's fight, uh, Joanna and Valentina for Toronto. So that's out of the equation. Um, TJ and Henry Cejudo, I don't think that's going to happen. You can't do Holloway and Ortega this early either. It's got to be for you know a, a title. Um, at potentially 165, or maybe they don't do a title and they, they just run the gamut and they just hope that Diaz is a big enough name that they just decide to do a non-title fight for a pay-per-view. I mean, I think when this fight was announced, they just assumed that it was going to be the, the main event just because of the name value there. But I understand there is no title on the line. So they, they always have that that thing. It has to be for a title if it's a pay-per-view, right? So um, I, I, I just, I, end, I see it being Diaz versus Poirier. My only question is, uh, is it for a title or not? I, I, I have no idea, but I, I think Diaz and Poirier is going to be the, the main event. One fight that is for a title, Valentina Shevchenko, Joanna Jacek. Do you guys remember back when people said that this should have been the fight to determine the, the champion anyway? Because I sure do. And they <laughs> they walked 15 miles to drive one. We're getting the fight. Joe, It's it's just the right fight. It's just the right fight. I mean, I, I is there a debate out there that says it's not? I mean, unless you're you're a Nico fan, this is the fight. This is the fight that we all want to see. This is the fight that the vast majority of people want to you know see, and it's, it's a great scrap, and it will determine the best woman in the world at 125 pounds. Despite the fact that Joanna competes uh, at a lower weight division, she's probably fighting at her natural weight at 125, and despite the fact that. Um, you know, Valentina, for the most part, has competed her whole career at 135. 125 should be her weight class. So, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. Is there really a debate out there that this fight should never have taken place from day one? And, James, as you talk to Gegard Musashi, 
He was pretty critical of the women's flyweight division, at least. <laughs> Nico Montano headlining him. We, we got a nice little little article headline out of that. Thank you, Gegard. But this this seems like the right fight. It seemed like, if anything, that tough season should have been used to set up the first contender. Right. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, from what I'm seeing on social media, actually, Joe, there is a lot of people upset by this, mainly the, the oh, yeah. flyweight division and, and, you know, the people who feel that because they've, you know, there's people who've competed at flyweight that they deserve a better shot. But I don't, I'm with you guys. I, to me, it's like, they're talking about Jessica I. Do we forget that, you know, like a year or two ago, she was on a four-fight losing streak. She's won two in a row. What division do you win two fights in a row and you get a title shot? It's just unheard of. Um, you know, you've got Sajara Eubanks, who, again, looked good on the Ultimate Fighter, but missed weight. Um, you know, she got a win over Lauren Murphy, but again, her record overall, isn't that great? Like this is to me, I don't have an issue with this. If there was like an undefeated, uh, you know, prospect who like looked amazing and was like knocking people out or something, then fair enough. But there isn't any, like a clear, there isn't like a clear cut contender at flyweight at this point. So I don't have an issue with that. It seemed that the reason this didn't happen sooner was because of Joanna. I mean, I, I've, you know, at the, at the Calgary card, you know, we saw the interview with her. I asked her, you know, why don't you just go up to flyweight? You lost to Rose twice. What is there to gain to fight Tisha Torres? She's she was dead set and she had it convinced in her head. I mean, we were asking her questions like this. Like, do you feel like a win over Tisha is going to get your title shot? Absolutely. It's like, what? Yeah, you just lost twice. Like, it's like it, there's just something in her head that just felt that, that that she didn't lose to Rose the second time and that the first fight was a fluke. So in her head, it was that. So the, the delay on this is on Joanna's part. They, they obviously made this happen, which is great. It's an awesome fight. There is history between the two of them. Valentina, I believe, beat Joanna three times in Muay Thai. So, I mean, this was ages ago, and they're different fighters now. But there is, you know, they can play up that storyline. And let's not forget, guys, this fight almost happened in International Fight Week two years ago when Amanda Nunes was out of her fight hours before against Valentina. Joanna yeah. was there and offered to step up. So that fight could have happened then. Didn't end up happening. But this is a fight I think people want to see. And I'm intrigued because I think Joanna could potentially look better at 125. She does cut a lot of weight to get 115. Let's see how she throws down with Valentina. Well, those people that are upset about this fight in general, um, I mean, just just tell them to put up the money. Put up money on an investment. And, you know, whatever amount of money. Let's say you want to put up $1,000. Do you want to get $1,000 back? Do you want to get $2,000 back? Do you want to get $5,000 back? You want to get as much money as possible for when you spend money. And the UFC spends money putting on these events. Each event is its own incorporated uh, entity. Okay? You need to understand that. So the money invested into putting on an event needs to have maximum return. You get maximum return uh, when you put on a big fight that most people want to see, not what's right for the mixed martial arts rankings. I get that. If you're an MMA purist and you believe uh, the right person deserves a title shot based on their ranking, I get that. That's, you know, that's sport. The UFC is not a sport. It's a business. And the business is about making money. And the money fight in this division uh, is Yuan and Valentina. I mean, case closed in my opinion. As we look down those rankings, number one is Shevchenko. Number two, Montano. We know what happened with her. Shit up 25 pounds over on fight week. Shikagan has won, but hasn't done herself self any favors in impressing fans or UFC brass. She does not have exciting fights. Eubanks didn't make it to her title fight. So what more do you need? Alexis Davis just got beat by Shikagan. I like Liz Carmouche just fine. That That's a possible title contender given that she wins down the road. Mata Ferry just lost the title fight. Lauren Murphy's Lauren Murphy had a stay of execution, essentially, by jumping to this division, as did Jessica I. And then we're getting into Jessica Rose Clark, Ashley Evans-Smith, and Joanne Calderwood. Okay, yeah, I'm cool with Joanna getting this title shot. 
I was cool with UFC Sao Paulo this weekend, too. We had some good stuff on that show. Tiago Santos defeated Eric Anders at light heavyweight. Eric Anders is becoming like like him uh, him and Cerrone, like, like that type of guy where he just shows up and fights. Uh, from a skill level, I won't put him there. But, you know, I give it by the end of next year before him and Sam Alvey end up fighting each other on about a day and a half notice at whatever weight. It's just it's just the way it is. He doesn't care who he fights. He doesn't care what what the 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 notice is. But he ended up getting rewarded nicely with a fifty thousand dollar bonus. But he effectively got tired and got elbowed in. I don't want to say into submission. He collapsed, James. He did, and and that's the question. Was it because of the elbows? Was it because of the exhaustion? I think it was a bit of both uh, in, in that regard. You know, I've seen a lot of people online say that this was a risky, this was a mistake for Eric Anders. You know, he's got a, he's got another loss in his, his resume. I disagree. I think his stock went up in this fight. You know, he not only won fans over because this was a great fight, and he had his moments where he almost, you know, he almost had that submission on Santos as well. But it's in a different division. It doesn't affect his standing at middleweight. I think this was a win-win. Yeah, it was a scary sight to see him collapse twice. But, you know, he kind of made that joke after the fact. He said, oh, I haven't been that tired since my wedding night. You know, so it's just, it's one of those things where I think he won fans over. And to be honest, and I've been very vocal about this. And I, you know, I like Eric a lot. He's been, I think I've been interviewing him since his second pro fight. I mean, he did not look good in that Tim Williams fight. People glanced over the fact that leading up to that knockout he had against Williams, it was a pretty awful performance on his part. This redeemed himself, in my opinion. He won fans over. It was in Brazil. You know, there was a great picture of him and Santos after the fight. I think Anders uh, definitely played this right. And again, he, he makes some extra cash uh, to, to boot as well. So I think this was, a, this was a good move for Eric Anders. I don't think it affects him at middleweight. And uh, yeah, I think, he's, uh, I think he won more fans, if anything. Joe, do we see Tiago Stanford stick around at light heavyweight? I would if I were him. Uh, the way the division is, yeah, if I was him, I would stay there. But either at middleweight or at light heavyweight, this is a guy that has absolutely no respect for the human body. This guy does not care what his, his striking does to an opponent. I mean, this guy is – I remember GSP telling me one time, the only reason why the referee is in the octagon is to protect us from killing each other. Okay? It's like Tiago Santos – guy's nuts i mean he just strikes with sheer venom and power and just no regard whatsoever for the human body and you know it's it's if you're a prize fighting fan he is a he's one of my faves to watch because he's just brutal like he's just insane so either at 205 or a 185 sean james i don't care sign me up next time he fights i want to watch and, and this jimmy manuel fight for me would have been freaking fantastic because jimmy manuel when he's on point that guy can throw some bombs as well. That would have been a good scrap to see. And unfortunately for Tiago, if he'd have beat Manawa, his his stock would have truly skyrocketed then. A few more potential fan favorites. Zaleski Dos Santos, one with a big flying knee. You had Alex Oliveira making short work of Carlo Pedersoli. Those are some, oh, I, it's hard to say that Cowboy Oliveira is an emerging name, but he's still hanging around near that fringe top 15. Dos Santos is in it. But Antonio Rogerio Noguera <laughs> defeats Sam Alvey. Noguera is, let me check, 132 years old. Happy birthday. Yes, just turned 132 today. He's actually 42. Getting the win. Another, I, I hate to say it's not a stay of execution for him because he's won two of his last three. He'll fight as long as it becomes irresponsible, but... James, did you see Anderson Silva's reaction to this win on Instagram? I did not. What I imagine it was pretty amazing. Yeah, I need to post. I need to post it. But 
What are you thinking of Rogerio Noguera getting it done? 42 years old over Sam Alvey, who you know, isn't a top guy or anything, but finds ways to win. Well, let's talk about the fact Sam Alvey's only been knocked out. This is his second knockout loss in his career. He's got a 33-11 and 11 record. The only other guy to knock him out was Brunson, and that was kind of a questionable knockout as well. So this was a yeah. clean, like, good knockout for him. Um, what do I think? I think this was icing on the cake of a really good card. I mean, this is, you know, you, the, the Pride fans come out of the woodwork uh, when something like this happens because, you know, I mean, it, let's be honest, Noguera's career in the UFC has been pretty lackluster with the, you know, time off, the injuries, um, you know, just, uh, you know, just it couldn't have gone worse for him. But he ha- does have wins like this one that you kind of look back on and go, wow, that's amazing. Now, what does he do from this at 42 years old? Probably not much, but it's nice. I mean, if I'm him, just retire, just go into the sunset. You got, you knocked out Sam Alvey, good for you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just, it was just a, to me, it was just a nice uh, thing to sort of, uh, you know, add to this card, which was pretty, pretty good fight night card, uh, you know, which was sort of unexpected. We see two guys that are going off into the sunset and Evan Dunham, Talis Leitez, Hector Lombard, probably riding off into the UFC sunset at the very least, Joe. He has, let's see, six losses. six straight losses, and he is unbeaten, or he is uh, winless in his last seven because one got overturned. He has been a monumental disappointment in the UFC, Joe. But as far as Lombard, Latest, and Dunham, your memories of all three of them, essentially. I always talk about Evan Dunham uh, being so tall. The first time I met him, I didn't realize he was that tall at Extreme Couture. Uh, Frank Trigg and I were recording uh, a whole bunch of stuff, James, for um, uh, Fight School 101s. We were, we were recording those, yep. for UFC Central. And the first time Evan comes in with his daughter, I was like, holy smokes, this guy's tall. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. But smiley, happy-go-lucky. Uh, with Thalys Latis, we actually recorded uh, a fight. I fought him. I fought him. I fought Damian Maya uh, and, who, and, and Kenny Florian one time on the show. Um, I got my but handed to me, but Thallus was, uh, was absolutely classic and let me do whatever I wanted. And he was always really good because he had a local guy here that had a company uh, that was sponsoring him. And at the time, Latis was uh, in around the middleweight title fight when he fought Anderson Silva. So he was the ambassador for the uh, product. So he was absolutely great. Hector Lombard, I got nothing really bad to say about him other than nothing really bad. I mean, there was one time I was in Vancouver, your town, uh, James, I was in the hotel uh, and I was just working out. I was doing, it was uh, my cardio day. I was on the treadmill, just doing my thing. And, Walks up right behind me, says hi, joins me on the treadmill next to me. And I think he was cutting weight at the time. And we just, you know, we're there for half an hour shooting the breeze. And, you know, great guy. But in, in terms of his UFC career, we were all expecting much, much more when he signed over from Bellator. Uh, he came up with a nice, he had such a highlight real career in Bellator that when he came to the UFC, um, it was great when he first came because Michael Bisping took a shot at him, calling him, um, we'll just say, I'll say a little person. I won't use the word beginning with M that Michael used, but he called uh, Hector Lombard a little person and, you know, looked forward to beating him up. But Hector kept his mouth shut and just kept training, kept going in there, just couldn't perform the way he was performing in Bellator. But yeah, I think uh, this may be the end of the line for his UFC career for sure. Lombard, one of those many Bellator champions who never defended their titles. It was really inexplicable and weird. They, that's one of the reasons why the tournament format didn't work out so well. The thing I remember most about Talos Leitas isn't necessarily the disappointing performance against Anderson Silva and the follow-up that got him released as much as him reinventing himself after the release. Winning, I think, six of seven fights. He improved his striking a little bit, then came back to the UFC and I think won four or five straight fights to the point to where... He was getting big fights with like Bisping and Musashi and people like that. But uh, hope for the best for those guys uh, as well. Francisco, Francisco Trinaldo did send Evan Dunham off. Charles Oliveira picks up a history-making win. Uh, Renata Souza, 
she gets a win over Alex Chambers. Those are names to watch out for. Uh, but the main guy I want to talk about on this Sao Paulo show before we preview Bellator, Henan Barrow. <laughs> he is 31 years old right now. He went 32-1 and one before losing to Dillashaw. And before the USADA era, he was 33-2 and two with one no contest. Since then, he is 1-5. His one win, a decision over Felipe Nover, James. I don't know that anybody near this age, you can point out people in their 40s, like, all day. I don't know if there's been anybody at this age. Maybe Johnny Hendricks, who's a little bit older, who have been uh, impacted more since then. I'm not going to correlate the two necessarily, but it's hard not to. Since that has been instituted, man, he's fallen off a cliff. He has. Um, I just It's not the same fighter that we used to see. Make your own conclusions from that how you want. But, uh, I mean, Joe and I were there when he you know, beat Eddie Wineland in Toronto. I mean, this guy, you know, they, Dana White, Joe Rogan said this guy was the pound for pound best. And now to see the fall he's had is pretty pretty incredible. Now, I don't want to take anything away from Andre Uhl, who, uh, you know, put on a great performance. Here's a guy who's turned his career around. Uh, I think he's won 10 of his last 11 fights now. He was not supposed to win the CES title. He ended up winning it. That's what got him the call to the UFC. So good story for him, who was, he was pretty much homeless when he got the UFC call. Dead. Yeah, great story for him. So so that was great to see. But for Barrow, um, yeah, I mean, Eric Silva comes to mind, I guess, is another one who, I mean, I guess he got a few wins here and there, but he's another guy who just sort of fell off the planet. But, I mean, no one to this to, to this degree, like even Hendricks, like he was a champion and everything, but he was never like considered like a pound for pound great, whereas Barrow was. I mean, Barrow yes. went, and it's not like Barrow beat nobody's. I mean, we're talking like Faber, Michael McDonald, um, you know, Scott Jorgensen, Brad Pickett. I mean, these are all really legit good competitions, so it's it's one of those things he's got to be cut from the UFC at this point I was you know I was kind of hinting this morning uh you know that uh I think that I think he probably goes to Bellator and I don't think he wins there either I think this is the end of Henan Barrow I don't think he's he's at a high level anymore for whatever reason and uh it's just it's pretty incredible to watch I think there's three things that we need to pay attention to hold on Jojo do you smell that tell me that's Barrow fighting a pit bull brother by next year Bellator just foaming at the mouth. Let's get him in there with yeah. a Pitbull brother and main event nine shows with it immediately. Yeah. I mean, I think there's three things that we need to look at with, with Hayden Burrell. I think, Sean, you touched on it first, pre-USADA era versus post-USADA era. Um, that's one thing that people will pay, probably take a look at, conspiracy theory there or not. Uh, I think the second thing is after those fights with TJ Dillashaw, uh, and getting brutally knocked out the way he has, does that turn a fighter into being a far more gun-shy and not really wanting to exchange as much because he knows that he can get knocked out again uh, and that his career is at stake? They're, far, they're not going to take as many risks. And, of course, you know, training at Novi now for as long as he did, uh, MMA mileage. MMA mileage is a real thing. It's not exactly um, scientifically proven, but you can look at the numbers and say to yourself, Oh man, that guy's had that guy. He, he's much older than what his his uh, driver's license says. His body's much older. So those are the three things uh, when guys like Kenny and Burrell start having this create not start but are on this free fall. I think that's what basically happens. You know, there's a pre USADA era, post USADA era, uh, getting knocked out the way he did uh, and beaten by TJ Dillashaw the way he did, uh, and then just simply MMA mileage. We'll spend about a minute on this. What's more impressive, Hoist Gracie's previous submission record where he was facing. Way, way less talented and experienced fighters, but maybe some much bigger than him, or Charles Oliveira's uh, UFC submissions record, Joe. 
Uh, I think Charles was is, is probably more only because he mentioned that when Hoist was doing it, nobody really knew jiu-jitsu. Nowadays, everyone knows jiu-jitsu, knows the submission game. So I would assume it's far more difficult, although Hoist did give up a fair amount of size uh, back in the day. But uh, if it wasn't for Hoist, Charles wouldn't be able to do this. So, James? Yeah, I got, I got to go Oliveira. Um, just, you know, the age and everything, too. And just uh, and granted, I know he fought a guy who had lost a few times by submission, but still, nonetheless, very impressive for Oliveira to, to do what he does best, getting those submissions. It's like when people talk about NBA players from the past and they're like, yeah, but Wilt Chamberlain was playing against plumbers. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of the same sometimes with Hoist Gracie. He was, he was fighting some plumbers. Uh, we have US, or Bellator 206, rather. Pretty damn good show. You got Aaron Pico against Leandro Higo. James, I think this is a monumental test for Aaron Pico. <laughs> you talk about bringing him up slowly. I don't know if this is bringing him up slowly, man. He's facing a guy who just fought for the Bellator Bantamweight title, is 18-4, and four, Yeah, ha- has experience in RFA, LFA. This is a hell of a test for Aaron Pico, James. If he passes this, I can't see him not getting a Bellator title shot. I, I think Bellator must know something we don't. Uh, here's the thing with Higo. Let, let's let's be real here. And granted, the, the competition has been very high level, but he's been a bit. He's been a disappointment in Bellator. I mean, yeah. he, he he missed weight against Dantes. He ended up losing a split. That was his debut. Um, he he won the fight over uh, to Maglio. Then he gets submitted in the first round by Darian Caldwell. I know Darian Caldwell is a great fighter, but that was a fight that I felt a lot of people felt like not only that Higo could win, but at the very least would be competitive in. So he's been a disappointment. So you got that. You got him moving up a weight class. How is he going to handle that as he's primarily at bantamweight? And with with Pico, I mean, he's looked amazing, but the level of competition just isn't there. I mean, it's just there's there's a huge jump from Lee, the Bulldog Morrison, to Leandro Higo. So um, Bellator must know something because this seems like a very risky matchmaking to me. We know how good Pico is. We know how fast he's progressing. He trains with AJ McKee, who we saw last week, got a very impressive highlight reel win himself. Again, um, you know, I imagine the odds for this fight are going to be out of line. I was telling people this morning, I mean, if he, if Higo gets out of line, that line gets out of line, throw some money in him. There's some value here in, in Leandro Higo here. It's just oh, yeah. the problem. The problem with him though, is we haven't seen the Higo we saw in the regional scene in Bellator. That just had, that guy just hasn't shown up. He just hasn't been very good. Um, he does hold the win over Steven Peterson, who's in the UFC should mention that, but just, and he was on the, he was also on that tough Brazil as well. But um, if, if he shows up, Aaron Pico could be in for a tough night, but if he doesn't, it's Pico's for the taking. That's kind of the way I look at this fight. Joe, what are you looking for out of Pico? After that early stutter, it was hard to hard to kind of guess what was coming for him. And I thought that by now they would have ran back the the Zach Freeman fight. It seemed like natural. Like why not do it? Why not co-main or main event a show with that instead of some of the stuff they do? But no, it seems like they're already thinking. No, he's he's passed up Freeman in that regard. It's it's a strange scenario, I, and I see the risk uh, in doing that rematch, especially as a co-main event. Because what if Aaron loses again? Yeah, right. That would be pretty, you know, not detrimental to his career, but not a good look. In terms of of taking on Higo, uh, Mister Lynch said it pretty succinctly. There, what is it that Bellator knows that we don't? Yeah, right. Because Aaron Pico taking on a guy in Leandro Higo, that that's not a fight that I would put together. But unless I know something and I really want Pico to win, to get him that title shot and have that guy as my champion potentially, something's going on here. And, and you know, if, if Pico can pull it off, and again, I don't see any uh, odds for it right now. Everything I'm looking at only has the Gigard and, and Rory fight uh, in terms of odds online. But at, no matter, 
I got five on whatever Eagle may be, guys. And, I, and without even looking at the odds, I got five on it only because, uh, you know, my brain or it's it's it says it says Aaron right now, but Eagles experience, man, that's a veteran right there, boys. This show is a loaded one, which I will talk about later, at least from a Bellator perspective, because you've got Andre Koreshkov in action against Douglas Lima. This headlines a lot of Bellator shows, uh, in my yeah. estimation, Joe. This is a very, very high-level fight. These are a couple of probably top 10 UFC welterweights, in my estimation. Again, uh, James, I'm not sure if you know, but you, you, no one's allowed to talk to me about Canadian fighters and the Lima brothers, because I'm, I'm, I'm extremely biased. Douglas Lima, to me, is a fantastic fighter, and I can make the argument that he beat Roy McDonald. Um, he doesn't have the title. He deserves a rematch. He's probably going to get the rematch if he takes on or defeats Krushkov. But these two guys matched up like this is just fantastic. And they're going to get, they hopefully will get a ton of eyeballs on them because of the co-main event and main event on this card. So I think it's a fantastic fight. And if you think I'm going to pick against Lima, you guys are nuts. James, your thoughts? Well, I just don't think you can pick against Lima based off their second fight. I mean, it was pretty well known that going into their first fight, Lima was injured, and it was evident. He was getting taken down. He was completely dominated in the fight from a wrestling standpoint. And in the rematch, Lima's striking was on display. He finished Karashkov. So to me, um, you know, I have to go with Lima in this fight. I think that and, – and I'm with Joe. I thought that was a very close fight against Rory McDonald. Could have gone Lima's way. So if you're taking it from that perspective, um, you know, he could still potentially be the champion here. And I just I, I think Douglas Lima overall is the better fighter, and I think he showed that in the rematch. He's going to show it here uh, coming up here as well. And uh, yeah, I just uh, to me this is this sets up the per- the perfect opportunity to get that rematch with Rory. Um, you know when that when that, oh, assuming Rory gets past John Fitch, which I believe is the fight that has to happen first. This show it's on DAZN. We're doing a live post show afterwards Saturday night, guys. So make sure you all join us. Hit that thumbs up, subscribe. This is one of the most perfectly constructed Bellator cards I've seen. You have a super fight, essentially, headlining the show. You have two legends in Rampage and Vanderlei Silva. You have two guys in Lima and Koreshkov who are established among Bellator fans, maybe not among some of the other people who will be drawn in by the top two fights. You have a high-level prospect, and then you have a women's fight where you're trying to establish that division and those names. This is the case, essentially, for several upcoming Bellator shows. And Joe, I mean, you spoke about it. Like, you've got all these people in the roster. Why can't you have at least three or four fights with intriguing names? The week after, Kimbo Slice's son's fighting. Uh, Lorenz Larkin and Eric Silva. Nelson versus Haritanov. Mitrione versus Bader. That's a decent card. Uh, I'll spend a Friday, Saturday night watching that show. How about 208? Fedor and Sonnen. Shlomenko in action. Ben Henderson in action. Chet Congo and Tim uh, Timothy Johnson. That's a decent show. Even the week after that, you have Cindy Dandois in a division they're trying to establish. You have Phil Davis against Nemkov. A Pitbull brother, of course, <laughs> against Emmanuel Sanchez. Later on this year, King Mo and McGeary. Neiman Gracie and Ed Ruth. Machida and Carvalho. Headlined by McFarlane and Letourneau. These are some decent shows. These are some good shows. I like the way that they're constructing this. And uh, as we... We are low on time. Let's kind of make our picks. Rampage Jackson versus Vanderlei Silva, James. There's not a lot of breaking down technically what this is going to be. They're finally giving Quentin Rampage Jackson, who they signed for big money, what he calls his best contract ever, a guy who doesn't grapple or wrestle 
<laughs> in Vanderlei Silva. I think this makes sense from every perspective. Who has more gas left in the tank? That's pretty much how you have to look at this matchup. I got to go with the guy who's been a little bit more active in Jackson. I mean, there, there isn't much to break down here. It's it's two guys who are well past their prime in the fourth fight. Um, I got to go Jackson. Joe, your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's I, I'm you know I'm 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 edging towards Rampage Jackson this one here only because um, you know Vanderlei hasn't been that um, active uh, and in that fight. With Chael Sonnen, I would I, I thought it was going to be a completely different fighter with the amount of, of, of emotional investment that Vanderlei had in that fight just didn't come out. So I don't know what kind of emotional investment he has against Quentin Jackson since he's fought him three times, and I don't think Vanderlei's the same fighter as he was before. Um, I'm going to go with Rampage in this one. Main event, Musashi, Rory McDonald. McDonald, the welterweight champion against uh, Musashi, who has competed all the way up to heavyweight and done well. Mind you, Musashi sometimes can look like a world beater. Sometimes he can make the most elementary mistakes and just looks like his mind's not in it. James, you spoke to him this week. The interview is up on Fightful, Fightful MMA, YouTube, all that good stuff. What did you get out of him? We got lots of good stuff out of him. You know, talking not only about this matchup, talking about the strength advantage in this fight as well. We, I mean, we have to look at the fact that Gegard, you know, fought at light heavyweight in strike force. He was the champion there. Moved back down to middleweight where he's kind of been a mainstay. But uh, we got Roy McDonald coming up from welterweight. So is that going to play a factor? Gegard believes it will. Um, you know, also uh, we have to look at the fact that Musasi, I mean, he's had some, you know, some hiccups in his career. The Souza loss, the Uriah Hall loss. It hasn't really taken a ton of damage if you look at it. Rory has. So that's another factor to play into this one as well. Um, you know, I talked to I, I talked about a bunch of different things. Obviously, John Jones talked to him about Machida signing there as well. But it's really good. And I want to know, uh, or I want to point out, uh, we're the only outlet that has a video interview with Gegard Musasi at this point. Uh, I don't know what is going on with the media this week. There's been no coverage of this. I'm really disappointed in, you know, the other bigger media shows. We haven't seen a peep about this card. This is one of their best cards this year, and I've seen, you know, very little coverage. But uh, like I said, you can check out an interview with uh, Gegard on the on the site, and I'm picking him in this fight. I think he gets it done. I, I, I hate to go against a Canadian and Rory, especially with someone who's from my same province, but I just think Musasi, with the fact that he's, he's you know, I, I believe size-wise they're similar. I think Musasi's got like a one-inch height advantage. Rory's got a slight reach advantage. But overall, I think the strength, the fact that Musasi's fought bigger guys, I think will pay dividends in this fight. And I like Musasi in the main event. Yeah, Joe, that, that does seem to be a... Like, Musashi fighting someone who's not his size, that is not out of the ordinary. I mean, my God, he was in the Super Hulk tournament. He could have fought Canseco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as much as James is saying that, I, I, and and uh, I mean, I think anyone that watches his podcast knows I generally pick against Roy McDonald in most of his fights. Uh, I like going for anyone against Roy McDonald. I think he's going to win this fight. I think Rory uh, is going to have two belts. Wrapped around his waist uh, within, uh, what, three days, four days? A couple of guys. Gegard Musashi is only 33, but he's been fighting since 03. Rory McDonald is 29. He's been fighting since 05. That is wild to think. We have a live post show after that. We have live coverage. Come in and make your picks. We have pros picks for this up as well. Check that out. Lots of coverage. We got it locked down, my friends. Follow James at Lynch on Sports. Follow Joe at Showdown Joe. Follow me at Sean Ross Sapp. Leave us a thumbs up, subscribe, and most importantly, let people know about it. I've also added new MMA content to Fightful Select. We're doing alternate fight commentary. Uh, I don't want to say in honor of John Jones coming back, but I did alternate commentary on his MMA debut, which had some of the worst all-time color commentary I've ever heard. Have either of you ever heard that? No. Go back. 
That's a homework <laughs> assignment for you all. Watch John Jones's first MMA fight against Brad Bernard. It's four minutes long. The worst color commentary I've ever heard in my life. Guys, thank you all so much. Until next time, we are out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.